coming at you live from the Koppel Chevrolet GMC Studios. This is Old School, brought to you by Sand Hills Global. Broadcasting veteran Derek Pearson. When you find something that moves them, that makes them smile, celebrate it. That's your task, that's your superpower. Nebraska Football Hall of Famer Jay Foreman. Rifles a pass, it was tipped, it's picked off by Foreman. He's at the 15, 10, 5, he'll score! On 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. Am I wrong? No. <laughs> no. Welcome into old school. Second hour. 93.7 The Ticket, theticketfm.com. Join us on the Sarge Raymond Jewelers video stream. Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter. You can see DP's face. You can see my face. And you can hear Jay Foreman's voice. He's on the phone. He's got some stuff to take care of. Super secret agent stuff. That's all I say whenever he's not here. Just being a super secret agent. In his black suit. Black, black suit. shades. He's got on his white shirt with black tie. Oh, yeah. And he's got a little mind eraser. Yeah. Nobody actually knows where he's going. Gadget, but he knows. You know. And he erases anybody that sees him. He goes, oh, hey, are you Jay Foreman? He goes, yeah, come closer. Pew, <laughs> boop. <laughs> You're going to erase that from your memory. You will not remember that you just engaged Jay Foreman. Exactly. Um, the conversation about transfer portals and players, uh, specifically in this particular case, it's Alabama softball. So after – uh, again, pretty good run, pretty good season, uh, but they did not win the SEC. Now, again, the SEC is loaded. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there were five ranked teams from the SEC, mm-hmm. so probably makes sense. Um, Arkansas number one, Georgia, LSU, Florida, Florida. Uh, Alabama, Missouri. So six were in the was Tennessee. Tennessee was also yeah. in. So so everyone <laughs> like like literally like it's a big deal, um, but. What happens in those spaces is if you're used to winning and you don't win, sound familiar, all of a sudden chaos takes over. And now what's happening is that there are players who are making decisions based on off-the-field decisions as well. Mm-hmm. Um, also, exit interviews, and this is the thing. Exit interviews is, as a coach, it was my least favorite day of the year, but it was also the most important day because it gives walking orders uh, and and – Status update for players. Uh, this is who, this is the kind of season you had. This is what you need to work on. Uh, this is what you excel at. Here are the expectations. Um, and then what happens is, you know, if somebody's returning, well, where's my place in the program next year? Mm-hmm. And in today's NCAA with the transfer portal and with scholarships, you may your position may have already been addressed. So if it has. It's a part of the exit interview question. Well, you just signed this four-star, this five-star, who you promised to play. What about me? And, like, well, you'll have every opportunity to win the job, which for somebody who's a starter in the SEC. Been a starter for maybe a couple years. <laughs> that's not something you want to hear. Don't want to hear it, but it, this these are the conversations that happen. So, Jay, uh, exit interviews. Um, let's, let's use – Let's use Buffalo, right? At the end of the season, right. you, you go in. What Kind of break down what exit interviews sound like. Uh, I mean, it, it's kind of like that. I mean, it just depends on where you're at. You know, like if you're you know, just finishing your rookie season, 
it's a lot different than, you know, for in my instance, you know, starting two years and then, you know, contract year coming up and, and you know, you're, you know, the, the team knows that, you know, it's going to be a pretty big financial obligation or could be or some other team could come in, X, Y, and Z. Now, you do always cover, you know, what you did and what you didn't do. Um, but, see, the coaches, what's different about the pros versus college, you know, sometimes in order to keep a player, you you know, the player can request to get rid of a coach. So, you know, the coach can't come in there and just, you know, come too hard at you. Um, the more important interview, which is kind of like an exit interview, is when you get a new position coach. And you know, I'll never forget when I was in Houston, um, this was, you know, first alternate for the Pro Bowl, which is in a lot of ways you made the Pro Bowl because Zach Thomas and Ray Lewis were just a shoe-in along with Junior Seau. But it was a big, you know, a good year. And we, we brought in a linebacker coach named Tom Olivadotti. Um and I knew about him because he had coached at the U um, way back in the day. And, you know, I just knew about him. You know, he had you know, a unique last name. And, you know, he coached uh, one of my uh, linebackers I looked up to, kind of, you know, a mentor was Michael Barrow, X, Y, and Z, you know, when he was with the Giants. And, like, you know, he come in, do pleasantries. You know, he, you know, he want to be, you know, he called and say, if you're in town, come by. Shot over there real quick. Did the pleasantries, asked me, you know, about my family, X, Y, and Z, and how, you know, da, 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 da. Asked me about the season, and, you know, I was like, oh, you know, you know, didn't go the way it planned, and asked me about the last coach, and I said, I don't know what happened. I decided to just had text and, you know, Reggie's on to, you know, BMD coordinator at Arkansas or NC State, one of the two. Well, he's like, hey, let's watch some tape, you know, and I was like, all right, you know, we we already 30 minutes into talking. Now you want to watch tape. I was like, okay, cool. We'll watch tape. He's like, yeah. He's like, I went through and, you know, watched, you know, some, you know, film. And I looked at all your grade sheets. He's like, yeah, let's, let's watch. I want to show you your, your 20 worst plays. So for the first, like, hour of meeting my new coach, that's all we did. Um, <laughs> and watched it, you know. So, and he, he just, I mean, he just went in, like, ran 10-10 on your boy. And he was coaching me as if he was calling the, or like if we were supposed to be playing his techniques. And I, I had to keep stopping him. I was like, that's not how the defense is run. Like, maybe you're going to be making changes here in the future, but I'm sorry to tell you, homeboy, like, we ain't like feeling like power and stuff like that. And, um, you know, at first, you know, you're taking a little bit back at it, back from it, um, because I, you know, I, don't, I barely know the dude from a, you know, fly on the wall. But you know, um, I was like, well, hey, look, it's a, it's a great chance to get better. He's coached some really good players on really good defenses, so you know, his method must work. And it ended up actually uh, helping me out. Some of the things that I learned from him, um, you know, I, I still teach some of the kids that I train right now. So uh, you know, it's, it's just all about how you take it. Um, it's the coach's job to always kind of keep you motivated and keep you pushing. And, and you know, I remember, um, you know, having a conversation with uh, Coach Bowl when he was either you know, he had to be a linebacker coach. He was like, "Oh, you know, we need you to be, you know, this is going into spring. We need you to be more like physical at the point of attack or something like that." You know, you had to make up something. And of course, you're mad when you leave, right? Um, but then you're like, okay, I have something else to prove, you know. So every coach knows how to push buttons. Um, yeah, dude, did I ever like it? Like, I, you know, when Buffalo drafted Corey Moore and Mel Kiper and all the knuckleheads are on there talking about, oh, he's just going to come right in and start. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. 
Um, it was remnants of like when I was at Nebraska and they had, you know, recruited Tony Ortiz, who by all practical purposes, uh, you know, one of my better friends in life, but he was the number one recruit, you know, coming out as a linebacker. Uh, cause he was at that time, he was a USA Today All American. You know, he had the track numbers and, you know, big numbers as far as like, you know, what he did production wise in high school up there and I think Connecticut. X, Y, and Z, and Coach Samuel at that time recruited him and, you know, telling people that this dude's the real deal. Um, but, you know, you got to embrace the competition because at the end of the day, man, um, once you get between them white lines and, or on the court or whatever sport you're playing, you know, all that talking, uh, that don't mean anything. It's not going to save anybody, and it's not going to win anybody a starting spot. Now, you know, I'd be um, – Definitely wouldn't be, you know, you know, respectable if I said that coaches didn't have favorites or, uh, you know, wanted somebody to win a job. And, and sometimes they want a guy to win the job because it's better for the team and maybe development-wise. But ultimately, your play will, you know, get you, you know, more playing time or less. And so that's just one of the things that anybody in these situations should obviously know and just focus on. Um, the play – and what you do and don't do on a day-to-day basis um, will get you, you know, as much or as little playing time as possible. Yeah, you have to fight an uphill battle, but there's really not a lot of players that have, you know, earned their right or, or gotten better or, or had, you know, played, played good football that haven't had to fight or battle. I mean, Ray Lewis, uh, who's, you know, in my opinion, um, is not the best – middle linebacker of all time. He's dang near, you know, one of the two. He was just a shoe-in at the University of Miami. He, they, they offered him late. So when he showed up, he didn't have any, like, you know, easy pathway to start. Um, you know, it's, it's, I was in black and white here in Nebraska. When in my first spring, I was seventh or eighth on the depth chart, getting one or two reps of uh, a practice. So as long as everything's on the up and up as far as how the coaches coach or coaches are treating you and the situation is, is on the up and up, uh, competition should be embraced and it's not always fun. It's not always easy. And that's just the way it is. It's part of being a leader. Um, some, you know, everybody thinks leadership is everybody's like, uh, holding hands and it's a nice, easy pathway. And, you know, if so-and-so is the head coach or the leader, then they say something and everybody just jumps on board. Sometimes holding people accountable, holding yourself accountable and having hard conversations and a little bit of friction is the best thing that can happen for a team. And, you know, when we were winning back when I was playing, there was plenty of friction, but all that friction was, sub, you know, put to the side and subsided when we started to, you know, obviously get ready to play games and the game started. What happens in the case? So we're talking Alabama for the sake of this conversation because, again, a team that made the, the tournament uh, loses half its starters the day after the season ends. And then there's a lot of back and forward between uh, what this is. We're talking talented players who have had success, who all, in numbers, half half the team decided to leave. How often would that not be about talent or production, that it's about personality conflict and we just don't want to play for this coach? Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, that goes into it, you know. Um, you know, what's weird is uh, – you're not weird, but you know, sometimes 
um, the relationships change, and, and you know the biggest thing about coaching is relationships. It is. It's a relationship. You're in some. You're. You know. Whether you want to. You know. Make an analogy towards a marriage or uh, you know dating or whatever. It's constant evaluation. It's constant um, securing um, yourself with you know whoever you're in this relationship with, both as player, coach, administration as coach, and administration as player. Environment, culture, et cetera, et cetera. It's all constant, ever evolving process. So, um, you know, it's a little alarming when you have five starters wanting to leave. Um, and and I'll tell you this, and I and 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 if there's any youth coaches listening, I mean, I'll tell you this: there's a lot of youth coaches. Um, and by no means do I, you know, portray myself as the best. But the best thing that I can tell them is, you better learn how to learn your players, learn more about your players in whatever sport you're trying to coach them at, right? Um, because what kids do more, maybe, and I'd be willing to bet more than what we did when we were at this age or even in college, is they're constantly watching you, right? And they're evaluating you based on how you're treating other people, but who's playing and how they're playing and how they're being treated versus how they're playing and how the whole holistic thing holistic thing comes to fruition, Um and then that's maybe why you see, you know, five five of these players, you know, at a at a program softball wise that's been pretty dang dominant for quite some time. Um, so yeah, it's a little alarming, but I think it's just part of the deal. Sometimes they just want to go in there because they want attention. Uh, sometimes it's because you need to have those re-recruiting talks and and understand what's going on. Um, and sometimes it's a it's a, a conversation that they'd had with either you know a position coach or their coach, just saying, hey, look. You know, I'd love to have you back, but, you know, to be honest with you, the way that, you know, your season went or the way we went, you know, this new either, say, transfer or, you know, young freshman's coming in, you know, you're going to be probably playing or starting, you know, half the time. You're really, really going to have to compete for, you know, the amount of innings that you would like or normally would play. And sometimes kids don't react that way. The first, you know, the first instinct for a lot of kids, and I and look, I'll say this, I, you know, that was one of the things that crossed my mind. Um, and I was starting was to transfer because, you know, they're not doing me right in X, Y, and Z. Now, if it's something besides that, as far as like how they're being treated, then that's, you know, that's on the coach and that's on the coaches and assistants and, you know, the thing that they need to address. And, um, you know, look, sometimes, you know, relationships can kind of go awry, but it's still a relationship and it, and you, you've been together before and it's been successful. So I also think if you come to some sort of compromise, you can be, you can have a good working environment and be successful again. You just don't automatically have to split off. And, and so I'm assuming every, you know, all five situations are unique to themselves. Uh, but it is, you know, it does shed some light on maybe there's something internally that, you know, stopped them this year from being successful or, you know, be ousted so quick in the, uh, you know, in the uh, postseason for, for Alabama softball. Yeah, it, I, I think the conversations over the next couple of months are just going to be really weird because there's so much movement in collegiate sports and there's so many things that are being changed. And one of those things that we need to talk about, we'll go to break, but we'll come back to talk about the Big Ten and the conversation of moving from division play to conference play. It's been done before. We have to remember it's been done before. We'll talk about that next here on Old School. You're listening to Old School with DP and J. Download the mobile app and listen wherever you are on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com.